How's everybody doing this morning? Anybody ever get up to preach and you didn't bring your Bible or your notes? Thank you to my gorgeous assistant. Actually, I think I'm her assistant. She just said lovely assistant. I'd be like Bob Barker. I don't know if that's creepy or not, but is what it is. Welcome, welcome. If you're brand new with us, my name is Pastor Dave Berenger. I'm, uh, I'm the pastor of K-First, and I get to be a part of a team just that helps to endeavor to lead people toward just not just following Jesus, finding Jesus, but following Jesus Christ. And uh, like Jeff said, if you're new, we'd love to get to know you after the service. Stop by the desk uh, out there. It's our connection center. We've got a free gift for you. Um, and uh, for those that have not signed up to be water baptized, use the QR code in front of you, or you can uh, sign up. Um, last, uh, last week we had two people out at the Connection Center who signed up out there. Uh, we just love just to help you in your endeavor of following after Jesus Christ. Uh, next week, um, I know we've got, outside of our picnic, we've got, I think, um, a, ooh, I'm, <laughs> it's like the Oscars are being played off. <laughs> um... We're going to be having a kickball game that's going to be organized um, by a few people. And as well as, I was told a soccer game is going to be organized. I thought, okay, just anybody who wants to play soccer. But then somebody from Pastor Juan's congregation contacted me and said, do you have your team yet? I'm like, wait, what? He goes, oh, Pastor Juan's organizing his team against our team. Uh, I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, so if you play soccer... And if you know how to throw, an el don't throw elbows. That can be seen by others. I'm not a dirty player, but I'm intense. So next week, join us for baptism, celebrating salvation, and then join us for food, and uh, then uh, maybe mending friendships back together after soccer games and such. I am, I'm very stoked about next week. Um, I will cry like a baby because when it comes to seeing people baptized, uh, that just I, makes me weep. I cannot wait. Um, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to land today. Mark 14. This is my last message of this series. Pastor Juan and the, our Esperanza congregation, uh, they are foregoing their time frame because they normally meet at 2 o'clock on Sundays. They're going to come in and join us next week. So we're going to have uh, worship in English and Spanish. I cannot wait. I love when Pastor Juan brings the word. And... Uh, he just always has got just such a solid word from, from the Holy Spirit. I asked him the other day, I said, how often do you use notes? He's like, notes? <laughs> sometimes I use notes. Um, man, I love when he brings the word. And then we head into um, a new series. So next month, we go into a series called XC. It's the Roman numeral for 90. We're celebrating 90 years of K-First next month. And so uh, this is what I'm going to ask you to do, is if you've got stories, whether you've been attending for a month or you've been attending for 50 years, and we've got people like that within our church, uh, would you write down some stories, uh, some memories of K-First, the powerful moments that have happened in your life, um, uh, maybe some of the, the volunteer leaders that just helped transform your life, um, different people that spoke into you in pivotal moments, would you write those down? And you can uh, send those to us. You can email those to us. Drop those off um, here at the church. We would just love to have just a litany of stories to have the potential to share and to help encourage other people with. Now that I've given you enough time to find Mark chapter 14, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? I'm so anxious. Not nervous. I'm just, I'm so excited to preach. It's been a couple, like a week or so. So I've got it all pent up in me here. Mark 14, verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray, and he took with him Peter, James, and John, uh, and began to be greatly stressed, excuse me, distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch, and I'm going to go a little bit further, and he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and saying the same words. And he came again, found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to answer him. Imagine being caught by Jesus sleeping when he asked you to pray. What, what do you say? 
And he came to them a third time and said, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The question that we're focusing on is verse 41. Are you still sleeping and taking your rests? How many of you have had somebody say that to, the, to you this morning? Are you still sleeping? Taking your rest. I got people pointing at people. Don't do that. Jesus is watching. But this morning, I believe that the Spirit of God wants to wake up the church and to wake us up and have us grasp what he has in store for our lives, and it's hard for us to grasp what's in store if we're constantly spiritually sleeping. Lord Jesus, this is the day that you have made. We rejoice and we are glad. I ask that everything that would be spoken and sung today would be like seed upon very fertile soil in our hearts, ready to produce fruit, that the kingdom of God would rise and that which the enemy has built would fall. And so, Lord, we just lay this message before you, asking God that you would do more in it than I could ever do, that you would speak through my, through my babbling and my talking, God, that you would just do so much more than a human could ever do, Lord. Transform us. We don't want to leave this place the same way we walked in. We speak that all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, give someone a high five before you are seated. <laughs> Have you ever fallen asleep in church before? There's a lot of yeses over here. <laughs> Lots of yeses over here. Oh, I know which, which side to preach to today. Um, I went to a Bible college, very, very conservative, Assemblies of God Bible College, uh, Central Bible College, Springfield, Missouri. Loved my, my years there, graduated from there. It has now been merged into uh, one of our rivals, Evangel University, which I do not want to talk about because I am still bitter. But loved my years there. But part of attending CBC was you had to go to chapel every single day, 9.30 to 10.30 in the morning. And so that was just, it was just the normalcy of life. You had five chapels a week, 15 chapels for a semester. You had only 10 chapel skips for which you use sparingly. Um, I'm not saying that there are certain teachers I plan to skip, but there were, churches, there were certain teachers I planned to skip. Um, they had moments where if you got sick, you had a chapel skip, um, but you're like, well, how do they keep track? Well, when, imagine us doing this at church. When you walk in the doors, you had a card that you scanned to show that you attended. And you're like, well, how do they, how do they keep you from skipping after that. Well, first day of chapel of the year, whatever seat you sit in, that's the, your seat for the entire semester, sorry, the entire year. And we had men's sections and the girls' sections, which I, I was annoyed at, unless you broke up with somebody. Imagine breaking up week one and you had to spend the whole year sitting next to that person. Horrible. So maybe CBC knew what they were doing. And so, but they're like, well, how do they keep you from scanning and skipping besides the Holy Spirit. Well, what, what would happen is about two to three times a week, this lady would appear in the far corner of the balcony. We called her the chapel hawk. <laughs> and so what she would do is she would have just, she would have like a, a listing of all the seats and she would mark off all the empty seats so that if you scanned and left, not only did you be charged a chapel skip, but you had work detail and other things that the, the Gestapo made us do. And so we had that going on. And on top of that, if she saw you sleeping, she marked you absent. So we had a thing that when the chapel hawk appeared, whoever saw her first, no joke. Someone would be preaching, and as soon as somebody saw them, we would do this. Caca, caca. In the middle of chapel. Someone's up here preaching about the gospel, and all of a sudden, caca, caca, caca. And you watch heads pop up, and people are looking around, and, and you know, people lifting their hands, acting like they were praying the whole time. These were future pastors and missionaries here. And if the chapel hawk didn't show up, you, you can't help but have fun with people who are sleeping. Because what we had in our chairs was we had these index cards that were meant for sermon notes. And so, like, my friend Kevin, my Baptist brother, he's like, 
he went to the Baptist Bible College and they said, you're the wrong version of Baptist. And he goes, well, the Pentecostals will take my money. So he came over to us, sat behind me, and watching him get filled with the Holy Spirit was an amazing experience. But he fell asleep. And so we did to Kevin what we do to anybody who falls asleep. And the Chapel Hawks that are around is we would take those cards. And while they're laying there, just start stacking them on their arms, chests, and then you would fold one up and write notes and put it on their head to see how long it'll stay there. And all of a sudden, the preacher claps. Kevin wakes up. Cards are flying everywhere. He goes, you guys are stupid. <laughs> he, and he, and he, he stands up and yells at us and sits back down, and the card is still on his head. <laughs> no joke. But he deserved it. He was a Green Bay fan. He deserved every bit of it. Every bit of it. Oh, sleep. I love sleep, don't you? Absolutely love sleep. Now, when, when we talk about sleep, we, we can't not talk about something that we know that is essential to life, and, and the statistics say that the younger you are, the more sleep you actually require. And the older you are, the less sleep until you get into your 60s, and then you start requiring. It's, there's a sleep spot between 18 and 60, according to um, the HD, the the website I looked at, let's just say that. I'm blanking out right now. That says, uh, right there you need about seven to eight hours. My problem is, is I am a night owl and I am an early bird. Which means I like naps. We I mean, naps, I mean those, Jesus took naps, come on. Jesus took naps. There's a word you need this morning is take a nap. Later. But this is what Jesus actually gets frustrated with these disciples about is they've had a long, weary three and a half years and Passover, which is itself, there's so many celebrations, so many things. These disciples fall asleep at the end of Passover week. It's been a long week of celebrations. In fact, what they have just gone through was emotionally draining. If you read John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, you can read about the entirety of what we know as the Lord's Supper and the amount of, of emotions that are kind of flowing through that. It's a very deep time, very meaningful time. And so these disciples, they are weary. And they go to a place called Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane in the original language means the place of pressing or the place of crushing. Now, it's, it's, it's really quite ironic that it has that name because, the, first of all, it's an olive orchard. And I've been there. It's, it's a, right now, it's a smaller olive orchard, but in that day, it would have been a larger olive orchard. And that orchard itself would have been, it wasn't public domain. This was something that is actually owned by an owner. Somebody would have owned this land, owned this plot. And Jesus went to this place. So not only is it a place where olives are grown, but they're harvested, but they would have had places to crush that olive oil, olives to make the olive oil. And it becomes a place that is such a beautiful depiction of what Jesus would go through in his time in Gethsemane. Because it was a place where he was being pressed together. What he was about to go through, what he was about to do was pressing him. And so we get this Gethsemane, literally the location, and literally what Jesus is dealing with from the inside out. And what you might not know is Gethsemane was a place that Jesus didn't just visit on this evening, but Jesus took his disciples to as a place to kind of get away and to regroup a bit. And we know this because I think it's in John chapter 18, verse 2, talks about how Judas the, the betrayer, when he brought the people, the people who would help him arrest, help get Jesus, he brought them to this place. Again, Jesus came here frequently. John chapter 18, verse 2 says, the betrayer knew where Jesus would be because they had gone here before, which means that Jesus had permission to be there by the owner. And so therefore, Judas showing up to arrest Jesus, the owner would have seen this group coming and, and recognized Judas and said, oh, you're one of Jesus' disciples. Go ahead, go into the orchard. So the permission to go in, and there Jesus is arrested. We've got this amazing point of Jesus pressing, Jesus being crushed. And I believe this morning that this very beautiful, meaningful, yet simple story of Jesus praying and disciples sleeping is going to help us with our, in our walk with Jesus Christ. It's going to help us in our walk with God. And so this morning, I'm just going to give you just four simple ob observations. If you're a note taker, and I hope you are, you'll remember 85% more of what you write down than what you don't write down. Parents, nudge your teenagers, tell them to take better notes in life. 
But write, write some things down because I just have a few observations for you this morning. So if you're a note taker, number one, here's a very, very simple point. Jesus prayed. What do we gather from this? The simplicity of Jesus praying. Listen, if the Son of God needed to pray, guess what? Y'all ought to pray. It's Jesus needed to pray. Jesus, the scripture says, who set aside his divine prerogatives, he set aside his glory in heaven, came to be here, fully human, fully God, fully human. We call it the incarnation. And yet in this place of being fully human, Jesus needed power to live, power to operate, power to move, power for miracles, power to speak. He needed power. And how did he do it? He prayed. And it was to show us that that which Jesus did, that we can do too, because the same power that empowered him can empower our lives. So if we need that, then we need to pray. And even Jesus, I mean, even the simplicity, Jesus prayed. The simplicity of that tells me, number one, that when Jesus was in his greatest trial, his greatest hour, the most pressure and stress he's ever been underneath, even in his darkest moments, he chose to call upon the name of the Lord. I want you to know that in your greatest trials, in your greatest struggles, that you too can call upon the name of the Lord. Gethsemane shows us that no matter how de deep or dark the moment, you can still call upon the name of the Lord and he will answer. But it also reminds me this, that Jesus did not wait for his greatest trial to start praying. Some of y'all wait till the darkest moments before exercising your freedom to pray. Pray when the sun is shining. Pray when it's darkest. Pray when the sun is and the wind is blowing and pray during the blisters because what you can exercise in darkness is what you've gathered in the light. And if we're only praying in the darkness, no wonder why sometimes we can lack faith. It's because this is the only time we try to exercise it. But what if we grew our faith? What if we practiced our praying? What if we stayed in the word? So when the darkness comes that we're not trembling, wondering where God is, we know where God is. It doesn't make the moment any easier, but it puts hope in us to guide us through the moment. We gotta be people that are willing to pray. Yeah, y'all aren't sleeping today, are you? Jesus showed us that with his life, he prayed. I mean, look from the beginning of his ministry. Jesus' ministry launched out from his baptism, Luke chapter three. It said, after he was baptized, it said right there, Luke chapter three, that he prayed, and when he prayed, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Some of y'all, some of y'all want miracles in your life. I'm here to say, if you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized and watch the blessing of God follow. It's more than just a simple little liturgical practice that we just, okay, let's get you wet. Okay, now, now go do your next Christian thing. This is our first, our first act of obedience. We come up out of the water and we believe by faith we are brand new. And in this moment, the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus and sends him into ministry. We know that in like Mark chapter one, um, Luke chapter six, that Jesus went to places without distraction in order to pray. Pastor, I've got little ones. There's distraction everywhere. Go to the bathroom to pray. When the kids go down for a nap, spend some time in prayer. Or well, I might fall asleep in prayer. When you wake up, go back to prayer. But Jesus, it said Mark chapter one, Luke chapter six, that Jesus went to places to get away from distractions. And not only that, sometimes he prayed in the mornings, Sometimes they prayed in the evenings. My youth pastor, I remember years ago when I got on fire for Jesus, he started a six o'clock in the morning prayer for all students before school. How cool is that? And so I showed up at six o'clock sharp and I prayed until about 6.05 when I fell asleep. And I realized sometimes I'm a morning prayer person, but sometimes scripture says in Luke chapter six, he prayed into the evenings. He found different times to pray. In fact, in Mark chapter six, Jesus, after feeding the 5,000 and finding out that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded, he is depleted and he is emotionally just a little bit of a, I, was, I say wreck, not like he was out of control, but he's, he's mourning. Jesus mourned. And so what does he do in response to just pouring himself out and processing what, he, what his family is going through? It says that he went away to pray. We see that Luke chapter six, he is approaching a major decision. What's his major decision? He is choosing the 12 disciples to follow him. You know what we like to do in America? We like to make decisions and then we want God to bless our decisions. 
How many of us have actually prayed about those decisions? Prayed about the things that we're supposed to do. Prayed with our spouse before buying that house. Praying with our kids before they go into school. Prayed with our, our, our spouse about just a simple decision or a major decision. So many times we're making all these decisions and then we bring God into the picture saying, now would you just bedazzle what I'm doing a little bippity-boppity-boo, bless everything that I've just decided instead of actually seeking the Lord and getting his direction on our life. Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, they go to this place called the Mount of Transfiguration. They go, he takes Peter, James, and John. By the way, I had goldfish when I was a kid. Their names were Peter, James, and John. Two days later, we flushed Peter, James, and John. <laughs> he takes them up to this mountain, and they go to prayer, and in this moment... All of a sudden, he is what's called transfigured. He has gone from wearing whatever colors he was wearing, whatever shades he was wearing. All of a sudden, he, his clothes look as white as snow. He is glowing and appearing with Jesus is Moses and Elijah. And all of a sudden, the Father speaks like this cloud moves in that we would call the Shekinah glory of God. And the disciples, I love how human they are. And Peter's like, uh, we should do something about this. Let's build little churches. And, and he's like, you're not getting it, Peter. But what do we learn from that is when you pray, the glory of God is revealed. When we spend time in prayer, we, we can't, we've got to stop wondering, will God ever reveal himself to us if we've never taken the time to actually pray? When we pray, the glory is revealed. We ought to be a people of prayer. Pastor, well, I, I don't know what to pray for. Are you married? Pray. Are you not married? Y'all better pray. You have little ones. You have nephews, nieces, grandchildren, pray. You got a job, pray. You don't have a job, pray, and then look at the want ads. Pray. Uh, pray over your school. Pray over your classmates. Pray over the sports teams. Pray over the coaches. Uh, pray over your principals. Pray over your politicians. My word, they need Jesus. Pray. Look around us. Listen, the world, as they say, is going to hell in a handbasket, but you know what? It doesn't have to go to hell in a handbasket. If the church of God will rise up and pray, God says, if my people will pray and humble themselves, I will hear them. And I will respond. Let's not be a church that's content to watch people go into hell. Let's pillage the gates of hell by calling upon the name of the Lord and seeing people come to know Jesus. This was what happens when we pray. And prayer was so powerful in the eyes of the disciples is that when they saw Jesus do miracles, raising the dead, uh, causing the blind to see, the deaf to speak, uh, the, mute, the mute to speak, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. You can go down hands that were withered, become whole. They saw all of these things. And so when they went to ask Jesus a question, you know what they did not ask him? Lord, teach us how to do miracles. Lord, teach us that raising the dead thing, that got, that got you a lot of tweets. Would you help me to do that? Man, everyone was talking after you provided all of that food for thousands of people. Could you, could you show us how to do that? You know what they asked him? Luke chapter 11, teach us to. Some of us are so busy seeking what comes from the hand of God rather than seeking the face of God. And if we will be a people that will learn how to seek the face of God, don't be surprised when signs and wonders follow those who believe. So Jesus is there praying in the garden. He's not kneeling on a nice a velvet little altar and just leaning on a rock like this with a little sunshine, moonlight coming down. Y'all have seen, have seen the, the pictures, right? You know, blonde-haired, white Jesus, blue eye, just kind of doing there with the moonlight coming down. That's not the garden situation that we've got. Jesus, verse 35, says this. He fell on the ground and began to pray if it were possible that this hour, this moment would pass on. Jesus, in this moment, he is pouring out his heart. He is battling against forces of darkness and he is coming to term with God's will for his life. This is the way that Jesus prayed. In fact, Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter uh, five or seven says this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. Well, pastor, you just don't get it. I, I, I pray in my heart, and God knows my heart. Listen, y'all. 
I can find three, maybe argue four times in scripture where somebody prayed in their spirit. And I'm not against that. But I'm here to tell you that there is something that we see as a pattern of scripture and that should be the pattern of our lives. There's something about us in the posture of our body and there's something about lifting up our voice to the Lord that just grabs God's attention. Why do we lift up our hands? Or why do we get down on our knees? Why do we bury our face in the ground at times? And so why do we just cry out sometimes, God, can you hear me? He's not offended. He is actually attracted to us, us, calling upon him. And the scripture says, all that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But the saving doesn't happen unless we're willing to call. You see, prayer at its core is us calling out to God and seeking him. We're talking body, words, emotions, all that we are. Prayer at its core, it's more than just standing just like this and just praying a simple prayer because sometimes you gotta get loud. Sometimes you gotta process. Sometimes you gotta pour things out, not because God can't hear you. Sometimes we gotta hear what's coming out of our spirits in order to know what we ought to give to God. We gotta be a people that pray with our core. The scripture says in verse 33 that Jesus, that he was distressed and troubled. The words there in the Greek language literally mean, distressed means amazed and shocked, troubled means astonished. That as he prayed, deep down, what he was about to go through, what he envisioned he would take on, shocked and astonished him. This is what I'm about to do. And it was more than the scourging of the stripes on his back or the nails in his wrists and his feet. It would be placed upon his shoulders. And it seemed like the more he prayed, the more he understood. And the more he understood, the greater the agony. And the greater the agony, the more he prayed. Which begs the question is, does your agony and does your pain push you away from God or does it push you toward God? Does your prayer push you away from God or push you towards God? Hudson Taylor says this, it really does not matter what the pressure is, but where the pressure lies. In other words, when it comes down to the pain and the pressure, will it push us closer towards God or do we allow that pressure to push us away from God? So Jesus is feeling the pressure because this is more than just physical pain. He is going to endure everything, the sin of the world on him. And that leads us toward observation number two. You're like, that was just one. I, I promise I'll get through the other two quick. Three quick. Four quick. Or five. I, I will get through them all. Number two, prayer strengthens us. As much as prayer will expend energy, prayer will strengthen you. Verse 43, an angel is sent to strengthen him. We recognize this from back when he went through three temptations in the wilderness, right when he left his, his baptism. He goes from baptism to 40 days of temptation, and we see that an angel is there to refresh him. I love the fact that God doesn't expect us to pour out and just leave us empty, that God is the God who fills us, and he is, being, he is pouring out, and angels are attending him. He's pouring out, the angel is attending to him. So it goes to check on his closest friends, and he looks and he sees Peter, James, and John there sleeping. Now this is where I feel bad for James, and I feel bad for Peter, not James and John. Because Peter gets called out constantly. Like the oldest child, I'm the oldest child, you're the rough draft. Get called out constantly. And now notice, look at what it says. This is, I think this is a very important detail. And it says here, verse number 37 to 38 here. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, he said to who? What's the next word? Simon. Who is Simon? That's who Peter used to be. And there's something about this moment that I'm asking myself. So he says to Peter, the new name, who he's supposed to be, Simon, why are you doing this? I, it's almost as if Jesus looks at him and he calls them by name because he's acting like his old self. He said, hey, Peter, come on over here. It's Simon. I can imagine Peter looking at him like, you're acting like your old self. That's what your old self it's more than a physical sleep. There is a spiritual sleep that's going on. And I believe to reject prayer is to spiritually sleep. 
When we refuse to pray, we shouldn't be surprised that we are unaware of things that are happening around us. I want to say something this morning, that prayer helps open our eyes to recognize that there's more than a physical world that's taking place around us. There is a spiritual reality that is here. And prayer itself has a preventative effect in our life. It protects us, it shields us, it helps us against temptation, and it helps us to become aware of the spiritual realities that are happening even right now. Listen, I'm here to say that prayer is not a luxury in the Christian's life, it is a necessity. It's a necessity. Peter slept when he should have been praying so that when, when it came time for all the soldiers to come up, Peter should have took a stand, but he couldn't stand because he was sleeping. And there's so many of us believers, and I've been in the place because when I start laxing in my prayer, it's harder to stand when it comes time for the trial. But the more that we pray and the greater prayer life that we begin to foster and to grow, don't be surprised that the more you pray, the more that you can stand. And when temptation shows its face, that you can stand. Now, I'm not here that, I, I don't look for demons under every bush. When something bad in life goes on, I've had people say, boy, I got to the supermarket and I wanted to buy something and, and they were all gone on the shelf and I knew that was the devil telling me that I wasn't supposed to have that. I'm like, no, they just didn't restock the shelf. I don't look for demons underneath every bush, but at the same time, I recognize the scripture when it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual weakness in high places. I, I, I believe what the scripture says, which helps me to understand that even when I'm having struggles at work, yes, do I want to pray for that person I'm working with, but I also want to speak against the darkness that wants to do what it's trying to do. Because if the devil was trying to destroy the work of what the kingdom was doing in Jesus' life. He wants to derail what he wants to do in our lives, which leads me toward number three. Prayer helps us to fight the enemy. Prayer helps us to fight the enemy. Is it no, is, is, is there no surprise that in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, how many times was he tempted? Three. And then at the end of his ministry, how many times did he have to go back to prayer? We read it, three times. There's just something about that moment where the enemy is trying to tempt Jesus away from the, from the Father's plan. I want to give a word to somebody this morning that sometimes proof that your prayers are working is the fact that opposition increases. Man, I'm going through something right now, and it just, maybe, it's, maybe it means I'm not praying enough. No, I'm here to say that if you're exercising prayer, you better expect opposition to come your way. You better expect something to come against your life. Because why? Just as much as the enemy wanted to derail the work of Christ, he wants to derail the work of Christ in your life, not just in Gethsemane, but here right now. He wants to derail. In fact, Luke chapter 22, verse 53, I'll read that. it says this. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour the power of darkness. This is what Jesus spoke when his captors were coming in, when these guards were coming with Judas. He looked at them and just said, hey, what's your deal? I, when I was with you, you didn't lay hands on me ever. But it says here in Luke, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. In the Greek language, I want to show you this. In the Greek language, we get to actually the word the that's there. So it should read, but this is the hour and the power of the darkness. What does it have to do with anything? This right here, he's saying, in this moment is the moment of darkness. This is the moment where the enemy is present wanting to take control of this situation. This is the moment. Make no mistake, Gethsemane was a battle. Why? Because if, if the enemy can tempt Jesus away from that, that means there's no cross. Without cross, there's no resurrection. Without resurrection, there is no victory. And the devil wanted that detour because he wants to derail. And I love what Peter writes. What I love about Simon Peter is he does learn from his mistakes. And he later on wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, stay alert. You know what it means? Stay awake. Watch out for your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What's the enemy like? A lion, I just said it. It's on the screen. But I want you to catch this. When it comes to lions, what makes a lion 
so peculiar in the way it hunts. What makes the lion so dangerous? Number one, I want you to understand this about how lions hunt. Number one, a lion must first start undetected before it attacks. If you ever watch National Ge Geographic and you see like a bunch of antelopes and uh, wildebeest or whatever, if they, if they see a lion, they're okay. Why? Because they know that lion's not going to attack them. You know what they're worried about is the lion they don't see. They don't, if they, what they don't see is what worries them. For lions, lions, according to a lot of their prey, are slower than their prey, so they must surprise their meal. And so when it comes to the enemy, this, the enemy doesn't always come at us full front here. The enemy comes at us from the side and from places we didn't expect. And number two, the lion will catch whatever's easiest, the young, the sick, the old, the careless. And will look not for the strongest, but look for anybody that's being careless. Anybody that's not paying attention, the, the lion wants to attack. And number three, when a fire goes out, lions move in. Lions are known to circle many times a safari, wondering, will they allow their fire to go out? So if you go out in a fire, if you've got in a safari and there's a fire set, they'll feed that fire all night long because the lower the fire gets, the more the lions start moving in closer. But the more the fire begins to blaze, the, the further the predator has to move out. If we would be a people, of prayer and begin to stoke the fire of the Spirit of God in our lives. I wish I was in a Baptist church right now. I wish somebody would shout something. If we just had some sort of fire within us, can we, we would stop being worried about the lion. Some of y'all are worried about the lion. Push the lion away by stirring the Spirit of God in your life. Be a man and a woman of prayer. Push the lion away. Maybe that's why the Lions have been losing for 57 years. <laughs> Teams are praying before the game. Worship team, would you join me? I think it'd be foolish to say for all of us in the room that when it comes to our life that there is not a spiritual dimension at work. There is. That leads me to toward number four. Prayer is the key to knowing and doing God's will. Prayer is the key to knowing and doing God's will. Verse 36, Jesus says these words, let this cup pass from me. I want this cup to pass from me. If you don't think Jesus ever battled with the will of God, you're, you're, you've, you've missed this portion of scripture. Because he knew what was coming and he actually requested, God, is there any other way for people to go to heaven? You know what this tells us? Ladies and gentlemen, there is no other way to heaven. There is no other way. I mean, Jesus, I mean, I'm putting words in his mouth like, well, could, could we make it so that if they do enough good deeds, they'll get there? Or if they tithe enough, they'll, they'll get there? Or if they do better than other people, the other people can go, and then those better people that outweigh the bad people, and... Is there another way? And how many times is that us in, in here? Or if, if there's another way, and especially in progressive Christianity, we, just, we don't want to offend people, but the reality is, is every single one of us will spend eternity in one place or another. And Jesus shows us in the garden, there was only one way. There was only one cross and one resurrection. There's one way. But some of us serve Jesus only as far as it benefits us in a moment rather than recognizing the benefit of pure salvation. Everything else is gravy. And oftentimes when we see this and Jesus laying down his life, it reminds us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow. What does it mean that Jesus went to a death and there are times that Jesus will ask us to die? I'm not saying that Jesus is gonna ask you to go physically die, but there are some things that you need to die to in your own life. There are times that he's gonna ask you to die to a hobby, not because it's a bad thing, but because it's become the biggest distraction in your life. There are times that he's asked you to die to things in order to love your spouse better. There are times he's gonna ask you to die things because you've been selfish in an area. There are times he's gonna ask you to die things in order to see what's priority in your life. And, and does that mean that he hates us? No, because I've learned that when God says no to something, it's because he's got a greater yes in my life. And so I believe God has brought us here today to our own Gethsemane of crushing. And prayer brings us to the place where God not just reveals what he wants us to do and directions he wants us to do, but he will also 
empower us to do those things. I wrote this down in my notes that I've been pondering for the past few days. It's a question that I've been asking myself that I want to ask you this morning. What if prayer is more about me getting God, getting God, excuse me, God getting my attention rather than God getting me getting God's attention? I'll say that better. What if prayer is more about giving God my attention instead of me getting his attention? What if prayer is more about us getting transformed rather than trying to make God into a cosmic vending machine to do what we want him to do? What if we became a people of prayer? What would this area look like? What would cities look like? What would our loved ones look like if we just became people of prayer? Does that mean that something's gonna happen overnight? Listen, I've got a wayward sister that, that, doesn't, that is walked away from her salvation. I'm here to say, if something is not happening overnight, but I am praying. I got a mom dealing with Parkinson's. I haven't seen a healing, but you know what? I am praying. I've seen bills come up out of nowhere. Anybody pay their water bill this, this past week? Goodness gracious, we need prayer meeting just for that alone. But we need to be a people of prayer. We pray when the sun is shining so that when the sun isn't shining that we can still stand and we're not spiritually sleeping through things. And for some reason, we can sleep, we can sleep and sleep until the wind shows up and the storms arise and they're like, oh yeah, Jesus, we need you in this moment. But what if we had Jesus in our, all of our moments so that we can stand? And so I'm gonna do something this morning that might make a few of you uncomfortable and I'm cool with that. I'm very cool with that. First of all, I'm gonna ask that everybody stand. And this morning, we're gonna go to prayer. I'm gonna call us to be a praying church. If you're new here, you get a free pass. If you are not new here, not so much of a free pass. But if you feel in your heart you can't do this, then I'm okay with that. You're like, is he gonna make us do jumping jacks? What are we gonna do? Down ups. None of that. I'm in a second gonna call every single one of us down to this front, we call this the altar. All of us, all of us. And prayer team, I'm gonna ask you to be a little sneaky. I'm gonna ask you to just go off on the wings by the, by the brick because at some point if people do need prayer, I want them to be able to find you up against the brick. But in a few seconds, I'm gonna bring us all down and this is all I'm going to ask. Pastor Olivia is just going to play for just two minutes with just instrumental, just two minutes. And I'm going to ask, can you give God two minutes of prayer today? Some of you are shaking your head like, why two minutes? Listen, if you've never prayed, two minutes is a lot. Give me two minutes of fervent prayer, then, then no minutes of fervent prayer. Pastor, what do we pray for? Pray for your family. Pray for your community. Pray for people to come to know Jesus. Do you know somebody? Does anybody in the house have somebody they know that does not know Jesus? Some of y'all are lifting your hands and you need better friends. But I ask you to come just find a place to pray. And after two minutes, if you want to leave, that's fine. After two minutes, Pastor Abby and the team, they're going to lead in a song that we haven't sung in a very long time. Pastor what? What did I say? You just said Pastor Abby. I know again. I said Pastor Olivia. I'm positive I said that. The first time. I'm not even Catholic. We're going to go into a song called This Is How I Fight My Battles. And the song derives from 2 Kings chapter 6. And it was a song where there's a prophet named Elisha. Him and his servant are surrounded by armies and the servant begins to panic. And he's like, what are we gonna do? And Elisha prays, says, Lord, open up his eyes and let him see. And he opens his eyes and all of a sudden begins to see the armies of God are surrounding the armies that are ready to attack. And all of a sudden, when you see what God is up to, you start standing a little bit taller. You get a little bit more confident. You begin to think about snitches need stitches and type of attitudes that are lingering out there. But today, we're gonna get there, but we're gonna spend two minutes of all of us together. You wanna come and stand, you wanna kneel, you wanna pace, I like to pace sometimes. You wanna lift up your hands. But this is what I'm gonna ask you to do. At least whisper 
speak out your prayers. And I don't care if it sounds like this. God, I don't know what to say. He's making me come up here. I am true to that. But God, I'm here. This is the moment I'm here to meet with you. So let's do that. Get out of your seats. Come on. Get out of your seats. Move up close, press up closer toward the front. If you're a front person, then move up toward everybody else. If you need distance from your spouse, I, I would say I get it, but that was gonna come out wrong. Just get away from people that maybe you're familiar with. Distraction free. If you're comfortable, lift your hands. And just begin to speak out. For some of you, it's prayers of forgiveness. Some of you, it's a time of repentance. Come on, just start praying. Maybe it's praying over a wayward child. If you don't have one, pray for other people's wayward children. Pray for nephews and nieces. Begin calling neighbors out by name. Classmates, your coaches, people who work underneath you that, you, that you're in charge of and you're an authority over. Begin to speak over empty chairs in this church and call upon the name of the Lord for people to fill. Come on, I love this sound. This sound is so good right now. If God has given you a prayer language, I mean, we're a church that believes in speaking in tongues. If you want to pray in your prayer language, pray your, your prayer language out. Holy Spirit, right now, Lord, we take these few minutes and just we cry upon the name of the Lord. We cry out to you, O oh Lord. Not with voices that are, Lord, just in worry and anxiety, but Lord, we cry out in faith, God. In the words of the disciples, Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord Jesus. Give us the words to say, and Holy Spirit, when we don't know what to say, Holy Spirit, begin to pray through us. I pray that right now that you begin to baptize people in the Spirit of God. I pray in this moment, in the name of Jesus, that Holy Spirit, that you would begin to flow upon people's lives in greater magnitudes that they've never experienced in their life. Lord, refresh them like rain falling upon the desert places, Lord. Fill people with the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God begin to flow in ways that they've never known or ever, ever understood, oh God. Teach us to pray. Teach us to know you and the power of your resurrection, oh God. We call upon the name of the Lord. We call upon you, oh Lord Jesus. We ask you, God, meet with us. Change us and challenge us, Lord Jesus. Move through us. Help us, Lord. Guide us. Lead us. Deepen us in our hour of prayer. Deepen us in that place. Together. Can we do this together? Can we say the Lord's prayer together? The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's say it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we ourselves forgive those who sinned against us. And lead us into not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we say, come on. If you need to leave, God bless. But if you don't need to leave, let's lift up our hands together and let's just sing this together with the worship team. Come on, team, lead us in this. There's a table that you prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body, your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. See, there's a table. There's a table that you prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, it's your body, your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight. 
every person that has felt alone I feel like I have a word of the Lord for that person that you just lately have felt so isolated and alone you may work with people you may be married you may not be married but there's a person here that you feel so isolated from the world don't believe the lie from the enemy you are not alone Lord open up the eyes to see that they are surrounded by you scripture says the host of angel armies surrounding that person Lord, I just speak over that individual right now, Lord, that they would just sense the closeness of your presence. They are not forgotten. They are not left to the side. They're not cast aside. They are not junk. They are not refuse. This is your child. And Lord, for, 
For every person in this room, Lord, I pray that there would be something burning inside of us that lead us into a prayer-like life like we've never seen before. God, how dare we pray that we just simply want signs and wonders, but we don't pray for more prayer. Lord, we want to see the hand of God move across the city, but it won't happen until we first seek the face of God. And we seek you and we call upon you, believing God that you're going to do magnificent things because that's who you are. But Lord, deep in our prayer lives, God, I pray for discipline in our lives this week, God, where we wake up finding moments to pray, God. We, throughout the day, we find moments of prayer, even in the evening, Lord, that we find those, those tiny moments, maybe even longer moments, to steal ourselves away and to simply spend time in your presence, knowing you, learning your voice. Lord, get it, giving you our attention. God, help all of us as we go through our own pressing, our own Gethsemanes, to be that those people that will just grab a hold of your will and not let go, because Jesus, that's what you showed us. That's what you showed us. So Lord, I speak just a presence of your spirit over everyone's lives, God, that you would send us from today ready to be prayer warriors, ready to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit and be willing to act in the fight in the heavenlies believing that, God, we don't have to be casualties of a lion that's circling us, God, but we can let the fire begin to brew hotter and hotter and hotter, pushing away the predators, God, making a stand that as for us and this house here at 5550 Oakland Drive, we will serve the Lord, and we're going to be a people who will choose to call upon you. I speak your presence upon these people in Jesus' name, and everyone said, can we give God a hand clap of praise in the house? I know for guests here, I know I've gone about 15 minutes past my prime, my, past my prime. That came out weird. Oh, goodness gracious. Someone's like, you did that years ago, Dave. But my prayer is that this altar would not become an unfamiliar place in our church. From when we start, like when Pastor Olivia, when Pastor Olivia leads us, that if you need to get out, if you need to get out of your seat to worship, get out of your seat and come down here and worship with us. If you need to change up your seat just because of the familiarity of people, get out of your seat and move. If you ever want to pray, we've got prayer times during the week. We have got a whole room dedicated to prayer. If you need prayer before you leave, the prayer team, uh, put them against the wall like they've been arrested. Uh, they're on the, the outside over here and they're ready to pray with you and pray for you if you need prayer. But. I'm proud of y'all for coming forward. I'm proud of you for what God is doing. And would you just be in prayer over this week? Um, pray that people would just be obedient and get baptized. I've got, we got a handful of people that are getting baptized. We have parents baptizing kids on Sunday. It is gonna be spectacular. And you're gonna ball like a baby. It's, it's what you're supposed to do. Love watching people getting baptized. But if you haven't been baptized, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna twist the arm, but take the step. Just take the leap and go after it. And we want to help you in that. Someone handed me a word that just says, Behold, the hour is coming when indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. You know, alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And I've said these things, that, my, that in me you may have peace. For in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, because Jesus says this, I have overcome the world. You may not feel like an overcomer but his spirit is in you and you can overcome. And if I don't give this back, I'm gonna preach this and I don't have time to preach that anymore. I pray this, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you peace. If you wanna stay and pray longer, God bless. You wanna get out of here and go to Lee's Chicken, then go to Lee's Chicken. But I love you all. Guests, stop by the Connection Center. Baptismal candidates, stop by, get signed up. Have an amazing Sunday, God bless.